The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. We bring you another episode of Let's Talk by having a conversation about a very real phenomenon known as microaggressions. What is it? And what do Toral and I think about this phenomenon? You'll find out on today's show. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. As we start this particular episode, we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's rated us and submitted a review on Apple Podcasts. Many of these people are part of the Cornell community, but some are also from places outside of Cornell. So we thought as a way to start this particular episode that we'd share these reviews with you all before we dive into microaggressions. So Toro, what's the first review that we've got? So our first review came from listener Kleber 13 and they wrote that they like the podcast because it's quick and it gives them some things to look into. Anthony, do we have any more reviews? We do. So we have one more from listener AEC Maynard, and they wrote that, quote, it's a shot of perspective and a direction to dig deeper. Reminds me of physical therapy. They do a wonderful job of providing a different perspective that makes you want to do more work to learn more. Great podcast. Highly recommend it. End quote. Thank you once again for the reviews. I mean, I just want to say that I think what really makes the show really great and based off of these reviews is really what our guests have shared and the vulnerability that they've showcased in terms of their leadership, their personal stories, and their lived experiences. The show is what it is because of the guests and because of just the great stories and takeaways that they've shared with us so far. I would just add that the show is also as great as it is because of the listeners that we have. And so we want to thank all of you and also ask you not to be afraid to leave us a review. We might feature your review on the next episode. You never know. You never know. So don't be afraid. Send us a review and we want to hear from you. So continue to do so. Thanks. Yeah. So let's now talk about microaggressions. Anthony, what is a microaggression? Can you define that for us a little bit? Sure. So a formal definition for microaggression is a brief and often subtle everyday event or interaction that belittles individuals because they are members of a particular group or groups. Now, here's my struggle with this particular term. I talk about this a lot in my trainings, especially when I talk about unconscious bias as well. But my main issue really is that there's nothing micro about a microaggression. So we hear the word microaggression and it's a brief, often subtle everyday event. However, the impact can really be not subtle. So I think about this one particular YouTube video that I've seen where it talks about microaggressions as mosquito bites. And so how more people are prone to getting more mosquito bites than others. And so if you get more mosquito bites and those mosquito bites being a microaggression, if you get 10 a day, 12 a day, 15 a day, 20 a day because of your own identities and your own lived experiences or the color of your skin or the way people perceive you to be externally in terms of your physical appearance, those things can be aggravating. And there's nothing micro about a microaggression because of that, right? They're aggravating, they're, as the term suggests, right, aggressive. And so this YouTube video, just to go back to it a little bit, you know, it uses humor, which I think is really great. I would totally recommend YouTubing it through Fusion Comedy. It's the specific channel where it's hosted. But I just think that 
that's my main issue with this term is that there's nothing micro about a microaggression. And I, I just want people to really understand that microaggressions can really have a really negative impact, not just on the individual, but on an organization in terms of people feeling like they have a sense of belonging or even security or safety at times. And I don't know another synonym for the word or another term that kind of really emphasizes what a microaggression is that is much that kind of gets to that piece around there's nothing micro about a microaggression. So that's just my struggle with this particular term. But I don't know what your thoughts are, Toro. I don't know. No, no, I completely I feel the same way. I understand where the word comes from and I understand what it's trying to imply, right? So it's really kind of the focus is on the word micro. And the concept is it's little acts, right, that belittle someone. It's the little things that happen every single day or constantly to an individual. And so I guess I get it that that's where the word micro comes in. But the impact is not little. The impact to an individual when they experience so many of these little acts, it's like you said, it's absolutely huge. So I agree that there's nothing micro about microaggressions, but I also understand kind of what they're trying to say by using the word micro. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about like the first time I experienced a microaggression that I can recall, like in my memory. And there's one that has consistently come out throughout the course of my life. And so it's this assumption that I am Mexican because I am Latino looking. I also speak Spanish, but I'm born here. And so people always assume, oh, because of those particular factors that are at play, I'm Mexican. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have an issue with being perceived as Mexican. My main issue with that assumption is that it's the idea that like every Latino or Latina or Latinx looking person is going to be Mexican. And that's not always the case. Now, I also attribute this to like where I grew up, which is Chicago, Illinois. And in Chicago, there are a lot of Mexicans, but there are also a lot of Puerto Ricans and a lot of other identities within the Latinx community. And so one particular incident that I can recall that really like still strikes me to this day is when I was in fourth grade, I believe I was in fourth grade, I actually might have been older, but there was this one girl in class, she was a white girl. And when I told her I was from in terms of like my family, so my dad is from Guatemala, my mom's from Puerto Rico. She was like, where's Guatemala? And I'm like, oh, it's right below Mexico. It's a small country. It's in Central America. And her response was, isn't that the same thing as Mexico? And I'm like, what? And here's the most irritating part about this is that I remember the classroom setup and like the visual, right? And so right behind in the classroom, there was a chalkboard with a huge world map. So I remember like my response in that moment wanting to just be like, if you were to just turn around and look at the map and get something so you can see a little bit closer right below Mexico, you are going to find a country that's called Guatemala. Like, right. <laughs> And so I just remember that experience being so like irritating And then when I got to high school, like people once again continue to say like, oh, are you Mexican? Or I always find it funny when people just assume I'm Mexican without even asking. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, there's nothing wrong with being perceived as Mexican or I don't have any issue with that. It's just the assumption, right, that it's like every person that looks like me is going to be Mexican when there's so many other Latinx communities and ethnicities within Central America, South America, the Caribbean and other Spanish speaking countries like it's there's just so much diversity even within Latin America that one can be a part of that it's not necessarily always Mexican. Yeah, I agree that I've had a lot of these little incidents growing up and and younger years as well. And then obviously, I think now that I'm older and in this field, I recognize it as slightly different and they're more obvious and they're more in my face. Probably a couple of the big, you know, microaggressions that I've experienced growing up were 
One is, you know, I'm from India. And so India is technically part of Asia. And so when I identify myself as Asian, it's like you get a look, right? Like you're not Asian, right? Because there's already a stereotype that they've associated with this is what, what an Asian person looks like. And I somehow don't fit that mold. So that's usually the one that I remember distinctly growing up that I used to get all the time. And then the other one is once they accept that I am Asian, it's like, oh, well, then you must be really smart. Or this is easy for you. This is easy for you because you're Asian. You definitely must get all straight A's. And so it really negates all the hard work that I put into it, right? So yes, I did get good grades, not because I understood everything or that it naturally came to me. It's because I worked really hard at it, right? And so those are probably the two when I was growing up. And then as I get older, I think in my career, the one that I get often to this day is keeping in mind about my race and you know ethnicity. It's, it's where people ask me what the best Indian restaurant in town is. And there'll be like a group of us standing there. And I get that question. I always have to debate, like, how am I going to answer this question? Right. And I usually answer it with like a joke of some sort. That's how I deal with bias is, is by making a joke in return. So my traditional response is like, oh, at my house or um, or my <laughs> other responses, um, ew, like I don't even like Indian food. Right. Like just to right, kind of right. throw somebody completely <laughs> off and, and yeah. make them realize, like, do you realize what you just asked me? Right. The other one that I experience, probably that at least I'm noticing more and more lately is gender biases. So it's the one where I'm expected to be making sure that I'm the one that's planning everything or to kind of take on the administrative roles or those kinds of components naturally Mm -hmm. can come my way. Just keeping an eye out for those as well, that those do impact an individual. In sharing what you shared, Torla, reminds me of actually a kind of a joke that I also started doing too at one point in high school when people would ask me if I was Mexican. So because I just got so frustrated with how many times people would ask me or just assume that I was, I would oftentimes just be like, yeah, I'm from Mexico. And then they'd be like, what part? And I'd be like, oh, I'm from Michoacan. So Michoacan is a particular area in Mexico. And a lot of my good friends are from Michoacan. They're either from there or they have family from there. So Because of that, because that was like a more common area that I heard a lot of my friends were either from, I would just go along with it. And then a lot of times people would be like, oh my gosh, you're from Michoacan, me too. And then like, they'd be having all these conversations. Have you been to blah, blah? And I'm like, okay, pause. Yeah. Just kidding. You know? (laughs) And so, and they'd be like, oh, come on. I thought you were actually from Michoacan. I'm like, no, but it's just because so many people ask me or so many people make the assumption I just at one point just started going along with it so it just reminded me of that humor element and that whole like gender and administrative piece too I think that's so important because it's also like unconscious right yes well it's unconscious but it's a microaggression though right it's like why is it that women in certain roles constantly have to be in these service-oriented type roles or even doing specific actions so coordinating meetings writing down notes there it's like there's this automatic assumption that it goes to women, but not to men or people who are perceived to be men, right? right? And so I get that a lot too in terms of people don't tell me certain things because they're like, oh, well, because you have X, Y, Z things. And it's like, okay, well, let's really dive deeper into this, right? Is it because you perceive me to be a man? Right. Because I present very masculine, even though I identify as genderqueer, like, let's break this down a little bit, right? Like, we can divvy up these tasks and they don't have to be assigned by gender. Right. So I think that's definitely one that's super pervasive in the workforce. Now, Toral, as somebody who oversees the bias reporting tool here at Cornell, particularly as it pertains to staff and faculty members, I'm just curious if you can just share a little bit with our listeners, is this a huge issue at Cornell? Because I think sometimes the perception 
is that microaggressions or even incidents of unconscious bias, they don't happen as frequently or they don't happen as often as they do in other places. So I'm just wondering if you could just share a little bit about what you've seen come through in terms of the reports. They do happen. I'll just start there. They do happen on our campus and across our various campuses as well. And so we've received bias reports from multiple campuses. So not just the Ithaca community, but outside of Ithaca as well. And so, yes, you know, I just want to kind of dispel that notion that bias incidents don't happen across our campus because they do. And I will be honest and say the university stance on bias reports is educational in nature. And so most of the time, we end up having a conversation with the individual who committed the bias. And what you hear, it's unconscious. And so what I hear back probably about 90% of the time is, I had no idea that's how that landed on somebody. So my goal is to really make people aware and really think, hopefully, that people are thinking twice before they're saying something. Or if they realize immediately that, oh, what I just said was wrong, like just coming up with ways to you can counter that. So we talk a lot about the concept of intent versus impact, right? And this is something that you mentioned earlier, that though my intentions are good, sometimes when an individual experiences microaggressions on a regular basis, the impact can be felt Part of the educational component is we talk about, okay, well, what was the point? What were you trying to say? And how else could you present that information, right? So it doesn't land the same way again. I do want to put a caveat out there that this, what I just described is a shortened version of a very large process that involves the bias pieces. So I do want to caution everyone to kind of find out the full process. Just please visit our website. It's just diversity.cornell.edu. And we'll be sure to put a link in our show notes for this episode, too, directly to the Bias Incidents page, because it does have a lot of really great information. And I definitely do want our listeners, especially the Cornell community, to know a little bit more about bias reporting here at Cornell. Yeah. And and as you mentioned earlier, you were asking, like, how many types of incidents, what kinds of incidents happen. So we do post an annual report, and that's on that website as well. So Anthony, I have a question for you. As an individual who is involved in a lot of our diversity trainings across campus, what kinds of tricks and ideas have you shared with individuals on how to deal with bias? So in terms of tricks, you got to acknowledge it. That's a trick. Yeah. (laughs) Acknowledge it. Don't sweep it under the rug. I think a lot of times what I've seen, not just here at Cornell, but in other places too, right, of what I hear in terms of articles and obviously major incidents that have happened like at Starbucks, at Sephora, around bias, is that the moment it gets swept under the rug, it becomes a bigger issue. So part of really combating microaggressions at work is to acknowledge when it happens. There's a number of steps that I always put in my trainings around how to combat microaggressions, a number of steps, practices. I think practice, you have to practice putting things into action. And I say practice intentionally, because when you practice something, you don't get it right the first, second, third time, probably not even the 10th time, but you have to do something in order for there to be a change. You can't expect change. You can't expect even a workplace to be anti-racist or not have any biases if there is no change happening in terms of people's behavior. So I think in regards specifically to microaggressions, what I say is you have to acknowledge when it happens and you also have to be able to practice doing something about it in response to it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are a bad person for committing the microaggression, but it does mean that you did something wrong and something should be done to correct that behavior in the future and especially in that moment. And so there are three things that I normally emphasize for things to do in the moment. The first step is really to practice active listening. So what does that mean? It means to actually listen to what is being told to you is the issue in that moment. 
So I think a lot of times, especially when a microaggression happens, we get caught up in our own headspace that we're terrible people, as I mentioned, or that we've done something wrong, or that this specific thing that I did or said is what was wrong. But if you actually listen and actively listen to what's being told to you, you might actually realize that, hey, that one thing that I thought I did wrong might have not been the issue in the first place. You can definitely learn a lot more by actually actively listening to what is being told to you in that moment, as opposed to getting caught up in the language and the things that we're telling ourselves internally. And so what I tell people is not necessarily to turn it off, but just to mute it. Because it is hard to turn it off right away, but to just simply mute it and to actively listen means to listen to what other people are telling you in that moment may or may not be the issue at play. Now, the second piece is also owning your impact. So we are always super quick, always super quick to say, well, that wasn't our intention if we say something wrong or, you know, that wasn't what I meant. But what would it mean for us to say that wasn't my intent, but I recognize that this is the impact that it's had on you? Yeah, I think that can go a long way, too. And that definitely can go a long way in that moment, even if you don't understand it. And I think there's also a myth, and we could probably talk about this on another episode of like what it means to understand difference or what it means to understand something, because sometimes there are some things we may never understand. And so I think in this particular context of what we're talking about with microaggressions, the goal isn't to understand it in that moment. It's simply to just acknowledge that there was harm that you may have caused in your statement or in your actions. And then moving forward, committing to a plan of action to committing to actually changing that behavior. So if you know that what this particular word or these particular actions or words caused on someone else, being able to say, I'm sorry, which is another thing too, which can Mm -hmm. really go a long way. You don't have to say I'm sorry, but because the moment you say the word, but it negates the sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you need to say another word, you can say I'm sorry. And yes, or I'm sorry, period also goes a long way. So I'm sorry, period. I recognize that this is the impact of what I said or what I did, even though that wasn't my intent. However, I recognize that this is the impact. And moving forward, here's what I'm going to do to correct this behavior. And all of this happens to another key thing that I also remind people is all of this happens within seconds. You don't have time to process in that moment. You don't have time to think about it. But if you commit to practicing this particular language, speech, you know, however script, however you want to call it, if you commit to practicing this and as you get better and as you enhance it, then it's just going to become habit when these types of incidents do happen in the moment. So that's what I would say. But Toral, I don't know if there's anything else you would add. No, I think that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. The way you stated it is great. That's it for today's show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and the show. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Anthony Sis. My name is Toral Patel. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. We would like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks, Bert. Bert.